the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we take that journey back in time and we go back and look at the finer days of the World Wrestling Federation. This is the new generation era, Uh, although I still consider the golden era to be my absolute favorite time ever in the history of wrestling. I have to say the new generation era is still climbing that ladder. And every time I dive into a topic, uh, making me love it just a little bit more. And uh, I have to thank my buddy, my great good friend, Mike Durban, for coming on last week to join me and discuss the Macho Man shoot interview from WWF Radio in October 1993. Uh, Still looking for it. I reached out to a few other people trying to find it. It uh, does not exist. It is not out there. It is a part of the lost media uh, of this age of uh, uh, desire to find media that we haven't heard or we haven't seen before. It's gone. It's it's not out there. So uh, I'm, I'm going to exhaust a few more resources and then I will move on and uh, just go on with my life. I'm sad to report. Uh, I would love to get it. But, you know, as we discussed over two weeks, it ain't going to happen anytime soon but thank you mike for joining me to discuss the shoot it was a lot of fun and uh always enjoy a couple of my get my go compadres uh joining me on new generation declassified uh gotta get that aussie guy back on here he's always a pisser so it's great to uh cut a rug shoot the breeze and do it up with my uh favorite the aussie guy but i digress we will move on and discuss today's topic it is Something that kind of hit me out of left field. And I think I've already done a episode about the new generation MVP and, and who you would put at the top of the list. But I have to think I might amend that. I might either consider this like a part two or if I did the MVP, maybe this guy is a close uh, runner up and deserves a honorable mention. But there's just so much about this personality and the new generation that go hand in hand. It's it's hard to not do something exclusively on him. 
And I have to uh, give the devil his due, and that is one James E. Cornette. Uh, Jim Cornette, a lovable part of the two-man power trip of wrestling lore. Uh, we've had him on many a times when uh, John and I were hosting the original version of the interview show. And Jim Cornette, never disappointed, was a huge score for us back when the uh, the, the guests were a little harder to uh, to achieve in terms of the name value. Uh, we hit the right buttons when it came to Cornette. And uh, it was always a thrill to work with him. We had him at one of our conventions in the Richmond, Virginia area a few years back. We did a full Midnight Express reunion. But again, it just being in his presence is interesting enough because he is uh, he's quite the personality. And whether you want to argue about, uh, you know, certain things he talks about, uh, to me, when it comes to the wrestling uh, side of things, I, I love Jim Cornette's contributions to the industry and his continued work in the industry on his podcast, The Jim Cornette Experience. Uh, at the top of the list in terms of what I will listen to outside of uh, anything that's not wrestling related, you know, comedy or true crime or something like that. Um, I go to a very few selected sources for wrestling in this day and age. Obviously, I'll check in with uh, the K100 crew, but Jim Cornette, probably one and two with uh, K100. They're just the only ones that I feel really presented in a way that I like to hear it. Um, not a lot of uh, gaga, not a lot of uh, crap when it comes to uh, kind of, I don't know, uh, muddying the waters or, or watering down their podcast product uh, as it relates to Cornette with the podcast. I mean, it's a perfect outlet for him. Um, his co-host, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, but that's because, you know, I don't like his style. Uh, Cornette by himself with that microphone is gold. And when he just goes on his uh, storytelling, it is unbelievable to listen to. And I, I could do it all day. But, you know, what made me decide to go in the direction of Jim Cornette is he's, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure because of his era and where he, he worked, um, he is the perfect complement to the new generation and his podcast really can, can absolutely, I won't say fill in the gaps because we don't cover all the stuff that he did in the new generation, but it absolutely is a, is a wonderful way to hear a breakdown of the bigger personalities, the big moments of the new generation era from a guy that was a performer, but also then a part of the creative team for a good part of 1996 into 1997. So it was, uh, it was quite the, um, I don't know, quite the blessing for wrestling when Jim Cornette decided to jump into the, uh, the podcast world because we get to hear some of these stories that, yes, he's told some things on shoot interviews, but when he has his uh, mailbag submitted episodes and he has questions coming in, I believe the drive-thru is what they call it, it's great because you'll hear random stuff about the new generation. You know, somebody will ask a question about Doink. Somebody will ask a question about Tatanka or Lex Luger or the Steiner brothers. And it's just uh, very cool to hear from a guy that was backstage and there in the heart of this new generation era. Um, and I also want to point out, too, as it relates to like watch alongs, he's covered so many great matches from that era. The Heavenly Bodies and the Steiners from Survivor Series, uh, SummerSlam 1993 the Royal Rumble 1993 between Bret Hart and Razor Ramon. Obviously, there's a huge Lex Express, Lex Luger, Yokozuna uh, compilation out there. They watched that match as well, and they've, they've talked about it at great length. Um, there's so many uh, other topics that he's talked about in the new generation. 
you know, King of the Ring, uh, Owen Hart's Ascension. It's, it's again, a great compliment to what we do on New Generation Declassified. Um, but when it comes to Jim Cornette, I talked about his debut in the past, uh, August 2nd, 1993. Jim Cornette arrives in the WWF, gets a huge endorsement by Bobby the Brain Heenan, who, I mean, kind of is almost over the top in terms of how he presents him. But that's amazing. What a, what an... <laughs> What an absolute uh, honor it must have been to have that kind of uh, reception from a guy who Cornette admittedly says is the greatest manager in the history of the business, Bobby Heenan. Uh, Bobby Heenan in his great black raw jacket with the multicolored uh, raw logo on the back, which is a <laughs> perfect merchandise option if the WWF ever wants to do a vintage piece of merch that's never seen the light of day. That would be an unbelievable choice, the Bobby Heenan raw jacket. Um, Jim Cornette just kind of comes out in an unassuming way, just comes down the entryway and, and Bobby Heenan jumps in the ring, grabs the microphone and welcomes him to the WWF and Cornette in his classic pink suit with the red, uh, shirt underneath and the pink tie, just the, the, the nasty heel bad guy manager that you hate. Uh, one thing I love about it is Vince's, um, you know, indifference to Jim Cornette and him being in the ring. But Vince and his great, you know, penguin, penguin-like, uh, you know, tuxedo with the red bow tie. Cor uh, Bobby Heenan literally falling over Bruce Pritchard to get into the ring uh, to welcome Jim Cornette. And the fans, I mean, this was in New York. So the fans, you know, I'm sure they knew who Jim Cornette was, but there wasn't a huge response Maybe if he had been introduced as part of an interview segment, it, it could have had a greater uh, maybe, you know, jeer from the uh, the audience. But Heenan putting him over was was a big deal. And obviously, if you were a fan, you knew Jim Cornette. And the fact Jim Cornette was in the WWF was a shock at the time because you just didn't associate him with anything related to the WWF. And 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 just a side note, with how the Midnight Express almost came to the WWF, in the mid eighties. Uh, it's funny to see, I can't even picture Cornette in 86, let alone, you know, in 93, but this one is just, it's great. They, they end up getting the crowd a little bit more engaged and the booze come um, whether that's a little more directed just because Bobby Heenan was so hated. Um, it's a great debut, you know, and it, it really, and, and just, it's a shame. These were in small arenas, not those big, huge ones they'd be in by the end of uh, the new generation era and the transition to the Attitude Era. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, just a, a classic debut. And I think I did put this on my debut countdown because it's it's great. You know, it, it, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a perfect uh, little promo cut there by uh, Jim Cornette and then soon after the Heavenly Bodies come. But you just, you run down the list of who Jim Cornette was associated with during the WWF, you know, they had the Camp Cornette stable at one point officially in 96. But, I mean, he was pretty much involved with some of the top angles of, of that era just based off of his association. You know, a quick rundown of members of Camp Cornette. Of course, Yoko Zuna, WWF champion. You know, Jim Cornette is the American spokesman for uh, Yoko Zuna going into the Lex Luger match in 1993 and would stay associated with Yokozuna up until Yokozuna turns babyface in, in early 1996. Um, the British Bulldog, the British Bulldog was just, you know, your, your happy go lucky babyface um, coming and going over a few years in the WWF. But by 
the end of 95, just it kind of hit a, a stop sign. You know, the, the bulldog was not that he was stale. He was just a bulldog. You know, you saw him as a good guy. You know, he was never in the title picture. He was a good IC champ, but he wasn't in the title picture. He wasn't elevated to that top guy status at that point. But all he needed was a haircut and Jim Cornette, and he was automatically elevated right to the top of the card. And although somewhat flubbed, I don't love where the British Bulldog fell as he turned heel. And, you know, Diesel was his main uh, opponent in the first month or so since uh, his heel turn. But pairing him with Jim Cornette is instant heat. It's just instant bad guy, boo, don't like you. And the Bulldog, it, it took a while to get used to him being a heel because you just couldn't see it. But they went all the way through up until about, uh, I'd say, early 97, around the time Cornette kind of transitioned out of uh, the full-time managing picture. Uh, but through 1996, you know, the big feud with Shawn Michaels, Jim Cornette's a huge part of that. And we've talked about that feud as well with Diana Hart and uh, the impossible uh, Shawn Michaels hitting on her uh, backstage. And, you know, did Diana make a pass at him? Did uh, Sean make a pass at her. It was kind of ahead of its time in terms of its controversial nature, but it absolutely uh, had a great mouthpiece with Jim Cornette in that first promo on Raw where uh, he accuses Shawn Michaels of being an adulterer and a fornicator and all these nasty, nasty things. Uh, we didn't hear that stuff talked about on WWF TV in 1996, but when they're going up against a juggernaut on the other channel, you know, it's time to pull out all the stops and, Cornette's a great mouthpiece to uh, to generate some buzz. That's for damn sure. Uh, how about the fact Owen Hart? So Owen Hart starts out as the king of hearts in 94. And as he's associated more with Yokozuna, he kind of adapts Jim Cornette as his manager. And again, would remain manager. Uh, you know what? It was actually, it was around 96 where Clarence Mason became the manager of Owen and the Bulldog for a very short while before he became the nation of domination uh, figurehead just for a brief period in that uh, that era but Owen Hart great manager for him Jim Cornette I don't think he needed it but it just it the optics were there the optics worked perfectly uh, and then Vader Vader comes in in 1996 like a, a bat out of hell he takes out Gorilla Monsoon he's in the title picture he's the Mastodon he's the man they call Vader Jim Cornette perfect manager for Vader during that era, but also the heavenly bodies. You can't forget their association with Jim Cornette coming from Smoky mountain. Um, you know, Jim Cornette and Smoky mountain still operating in that early part of the uh, new generation era, you know, between 93 and 95. And, and the fact that for a long time, I think we could consider Smoky mountain to be really one of the last territories. Uh, I think you could give ECW the nod that they might've been, possibly the final but smoky mountain and all the stars that came through smoky mountain past present and then the future that that made a stop in smoky mountain working for jim Cornette. uh the fact that this guy is able to operate his own promotion and be on wwf tv is uh is fascinating that somebody like vince would go with it you know and then not that there was a lot of of, of wwf talent that went to smoky mountain during the operation it's cool. You see the Macho Man pops in there uh, once in a while. You know, you'll see uh, the Undertaker appear in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, but not in any more than a guest star 
capacity. Uh, you know, famously, that's where the Undertaker discovers uh, Glenn Jacobs, and and that's kind of all she wrote as Glenn Jacobs would make his way to the WWF as the evil dentist Isaac Yankum. But it all started in Smoky Mountain with uh, the Undertaker and and Glenn. And uh, one of their matches that they had just uh, don't have it in front of me. So I don't want to miss uh, name the, uh, the events that it took place at. Um, but Tom Pritchard and Jimmy Del Rey in the WWF, you know, Dr. Tom would obviously carve out a huge niche for himself as a, a premier uh, trainer in, in, in the WWF system. But he also worked very well as a tag team wrestler. And then, as a guy who was helping get over the other talent, just because he was so accomplished, he had a giant resume up to 1993. And again, it's a guy that, you know, you heard about so much before he got to the WWF and you almost wish they did more with him, but I love the heavenly bodies as a team. I thought that they just, they were a great um, combination, you know, the gigolo and, and his kind of odd, generations and Jimmy Del Rey being a pretty unique talent. You know, they had that ground and pound mixed with a little bit of that off the top with Jimmy Del Rey high flying to a point, you know, high flyers for that day didn't have to do much. All you had to do was come off the second rope with an ax handle and you were considered a, a high flyer, but you know, they had a great match with the Steiner brothers at SummerSlam 1993 uh, steal the show in terms of, you know, the match quality and at, at Survivor Series in Boston, and this is the first question I remember asking Cornette when we had him on the first time in, I think, 2015 or early 2016 with uh, the two-man power trip interview, the first one, and that was the match. Boston Garden, Survivor Series 1993, a clear Southern-style wrestling match in Boston, of all places, a WWF mainstay territory on a major pay-per-view like Survivor Series. Uh, it's a recipe for disaster. The crowd in Boston did not appreciate the Rock and Roll Express and the Heavenly Bodies in a way that maybe a different market could have. You know, I'm not putting it in New York. I'm not putting it in New Jersey. I'm not putting it in Philadelphia. I'm not putting it in Boston. I'm perhaps putting it maybe in like Missouri, or maybe even Chicago, or maybe down in Florida, maybe uh, even out towards Texas. Maybe those states towards the West going outward would appreciate a match like that with the Rock and Roll Express and the Heavenly Bodies. Hell, why don't we go down to Atlanta and have it in Atlanta? Maybe more people will recognize the Rock and Roll Express in North Carolina and, and appreciate that match rather than sticking it in Boston on a pay-per-view with just a few weeks of buildup. But folks, the buildup was me and Gene in a standup on a Survivor Series report telling us the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Championship will be on the line at Survivor Series. And if you really want to get technical and you want to tie it into the previous two weeks, that is where the WWF radio team comes and does the pay-per-view broadcast. And we get Gorilla Monsoon and Jim Ross on the call for the Rock and Roll Express and Heavenly Bodies match at Survivor Series 93. But Cornette, not being a full-time part of the roster at that point, I'm sure didn't have any kind of say in how the, the match would have been portrayed and the fact they were enforcing the Smoky Mountain rules. You know, we didn't know that. We didn't know it was uh, that kind of <laughs> uh, different contrasting style to the WWF. All we knew was it was wrestling and we had 
heard about Smoky Mountain, if you were reading the Pro Wrestling Illustrateds and the, you know, the wrestler and the, uh, you know, the uh, listening to the hotlines, you knew what Smoky Mountain was. You just didn't know why they were in the WWF, but it's because they became a, a working partner with Vince McMahon and company. And eventually Cornette would transition into a more full-time capacity in the WWF when Smoky Mountain folded in November 1995, when they then sold all the rights and all the videos to the WWF. So, I mean, what, what are you going to do? Um, Smoky Mountain, again, ahead of its time, did some very old school stuff that was getting phased out at that time, but that's the Cornette influence. Uh, you know, guys uh, debuting under a sheet, you know, very famously Arn Anderson uh, being brought out to ringside under a uh, literal sheet. And, um, you know, that kind of stuff got a huge pop. But you also saw, you know, like I said, Undertaker coming down. You saw Shawn Michaels and Buddy Landell have a big Intercontinental Championship match in Smoky Mountain. And uh, the Macho Man famously uh, taking a big L to Bruiser Bedlam of uh, Dark Side of the Ring fame. Uh, gets a huge victory over the Macho Man in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. So you know, there's there's some association that helped the the promotion, but it just ultimately didn't last. And that was good because we got Cornette, we got him on commentary, we got him doing interviews, we got him at ringside, and I think that was a big help. And on the more negative side of guys that he was associated with during the WWF time, and I don't think they would fall under the Camp Cornette umbrella. You, you got to just stop for a second and acknowledge uh, Jim Cornette managing Mantar. Now, I don't want to necessarily, but it still, it happened. It didn't last very long. And one of the cool things is that he does rip it apart and he's talked about it on the Jim Cornette experience. And uh, I hate to just be blowing smoke up their ass the whole entire podcast here. But I mean, there's nothing that I'm going to say that he doesn't. I'm just giving you a little bit of a clearer picture at how much Jim Cornette was able to do in a very short amount of time in the uh, the WWF. Uh, but the association with Mantar, definitely not uh, a highlight. I would say it's definitely not somebody who we want to really uh, think of a guy like Cornette managing. And it's nothing against Mantar, but it wasn't a great gimmick. And I just don't want to put a guy like Cornette with that kind of gimmick. I want to put him with a more serious style attraction. They don't have to be a complete straight shooter because he's such an eccentric personality, but I want Cornette with an Owen Hart, a Bulldog, a Vader, a Yokozuna. I want him in those top matches. And if you look at some of the matches that he was a part of during the WWF time, you see that there is an absolute trend of how he stays in that main event from about August, 1993 through, I would say, maybe the fall of 95 uh, before they completely kind of phase him out. And Cam Cornette takes a major back seat um, in, in one time in, in 96. You know, like I said, he does get that little bit of uh, revival with the Bulldog in June. But between January and June, where Vader debuts at the Royal Rumble and the Bulldog kind of kicks off his feud with Shawn Michaels, you know, they, they really don't have much going on in between January and June. At WrestleMania, it is the most forgettable uh, WrestleMania opening match in the history of the entire Supercard pay-per-view. And that's Cam Cornette, Vader, Owen Hart, and Yoko, and the Bulldog taking on Yokozuna, 
Jake the Snake Roberts and Ahmed Johnson. Just a uh, boring, nothing happening match. It's it's unfortunate with so much star power, but there's just really there's nothing to write home about as it relates to that match and the fact it was in the opening contest on a WrestleMania. I mean, I would have almost rather them just split them up or have Yoko and Vader have a one-on-one and do the Bulldog and Owen versus Ahmed Johnson and Jake the Snake as odd of a pairing that would be. I just, I can't see why a six-man tag was the um, the the decision to go with. It, it just didn't look right. It didn't seem right. You know, and Vader went from coming in so hot to then cooling off. And then towards the end of the summer, we get that revival again. But, you know, and, and I'll say that he was cooled, uh, Cornette was cooled off, even though he was with Vader at, in 96, because by the time Vader gets his title shot in August, it's over, you know, and Cornette does have a feud with Jose Lothario, but it becomes more of a comedy between Jose Lothario and himself as then it does Vader and Shawn Michaels. And they do have a singles match at um, mind games in 1996. And we get to see the, you know, the classic Jim Cornette wrestling attire, but it's just nothing special. It's nothing. And again, this is nothing against Jose Lothario's legacy. It just didn't work out. I always hated Jose Lothario in the corner of Shawn Michaels. I'm thinking this is this guy who's this, you know, chick magnet. He's the world champ. He's so cool. You know, we know he's associated with the guys that are in the NWO in WCW. And he's coming out with his, you know, 60-year-old mentor every uh, week. I hated it. Hated every second of it. Anytime they put him, put him together on TV, I thought it sucked. But Cornette and Lothario kind of took the... um comedic route and uh i just don't think it helped vader's feud with Shawn michaels which as we talked about a few weeks back too we know didn't really go anywhere because of the miscommunications that they had in their match and you know unfortunately it's just one of those things that um, could have gone a different way in history and it did not um but in terms of what he did after he was transitioned out of the in-ring capacity a great contribution to the WWF in terms of being a, a part of the creative team with Bruce Pritchard and Vince McMahon, um, able to kind of give things a different perspective, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe considered a little too Southern um, in that hurting, but nonetheless, in the pre-Russo attitude era where Russo and Cornette were kind of forced to work together, you know, he gave it his best shot. And unfortunately, he didn't last. They went with Russo. The Attitude Era was born. And even though we don't really cover the Attitude Era, you know, the early part of 98 saw the NWA revival and the uh, the Cornette, Jeff Jarrett, Barry Windham, uh, Rock and Roll Express. That group come in. The NWA, I think, Northern Heavyweight Championship be uh, a belt held by Jarrett, which was somewhat created just for that angle. Um it got the NWA mentioned on WWF TV, which, you know, God, 10 years earlier, you would never, ever thought the NWA would be mentioned on WWF TV. But you got Jim Ross kind of commenting on some NWA history. Even Tommy Young came on at one point and refereed a match. Uh, and I'm sure maybe if it was even a year earlier, it would have had a different flavor to it with Cornette being still a little fresh in the minds of the WWF audience. But that time off between uh, the end of 96 and early 98 in a, a more full-time capacity, it didn't uh, it didn't work out. But, you know, in the interim, I got to say his commentary 
it was a part of um, different iterations of commentary teams. He teamed with Jim Ross. He did a little bit of work with Vince McMahon. He actually did some work with Vince Russo. And I, I don't think Cornette is a bad commentator at all. And um, I think that's one aspect of his career that he doesn't get enough credit for because he did it going all the way back to his early days. And, of course, remember him in WCW um, without a shadow of a doubt and all the contributions that he made to uh, that programming at the time. But is he at the top of the list as it relates to an MVP for the new generation era? I'm going to say yes. He's a part of a huge amount of title matches, pay-per-view main events. You know, Cam Cornette and the star power they had. I have to give Jim Cornette and even his debut with Bobby Heenan getting the huge rub. I got to tip my cap and say, yes, this indeed is a guy who deserves top status in the new generation lore. We have our top five baby faces. We have our Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Undertaker, Diesel, Razor Ramon. If we were going to make a list of the heels, which could be a decent episode, does Cornette make that list? Does he supersede even the the actual heel wrestler? You know, I guess maybe Owen Hart would be at the top of the list for the new generation era. You got to give it to a budding Steve Austin who became a stone cold killer. Uh, so I'd put him up there, you know, Vader, Yokozuna. But is Jim Cornette in that top heel status for new generation uh, discussion? And I think maybe we will pick that up. I'll see if I can get a panel together. And maybe we talk about who was the top heel of the new generation era. Maybe that's the next stage in this discussion. Uh, but I will wrap it up here for this week. Um, in a few weeks, I believe two weeks, we have the return of Coliseum Chad and what's been going on in the Coliseum world since the last installment. This would be the fourth Coliseum Chad that will be headed your way. Uh, or you know what? It might even be next week. We might have to jump the gun and have the Coliseum Chad. Yeah, actually looking at the calendar, that's next Wednesday. Coliseum Chad edition number four coming your way. It'll be the 27th of April. And then May 4th, we will look to have the top heels of the new generation. Who will be on that panel? I don't know. Maybe I will go get my get my go friends and compadres and uh, longtime close confidants. Uh, on the uh, the airwaves to discuss that. So let's wrap it up here for today. If you want to follow me, it's at Chad EMB on Twitter. It's at IB Exclusives on Instagram. My website is IBExclusives.com. Come over and see what I got going on in the IB Exclusives world. Please go to BelowTheCollar.com and pick up a Chadster t-shirt or an IB Exclusives uh, t-shirt. Have to tip my cap to my good friend Husey for picking up a Chadster t-shirt this past week, uh, the international shipping will be put to the test to get one of those bad boys over to uh, the the great land of Ireland. And maybe Husey can wear that out to a pub and see if uh, he gets punched in the face for <laughs> desecrating the Hulkamania logo as the Chadster completely did. But that's OK. He's a huge part of me becoming a fan. So I think I can borrow it for this instance. And you can get yourself that Chadster T-shirt again below the collar com slash IB exclusives. Also, hey, check out me and the Queen of Extreme Francine on Patreon, patreon.com slash Francine podcast. A uh, ton of content getting uploaded there uh, this month. If you came and joined for Get My Go, you, you saw a lot of unique 
uh, vlogs from the Queen of Extreme while she's been traveling to conventions over the last uh, few months. WrestleCade, WrestleCon, uh, Cooking with the Queen, and everything in between. We saw, even watched the first ever ECW reunion from the summer of 2001, which I didn't even know existed until I found it. So many a gem over at patreon.com slash Francine Podcast. You could also listen to our audio on the Creative Control Network. Uh, and this website is tmptempire.com. All the wonderful podcasts under the TMPT umbrella uh, coming your way here on this uh, podcast feed. So we will get out of here for this week. And for the Louisville lip, the Louisville slugger, Jim Cornette, I thank you for your contributions to the new generation era. And it's the Chadster, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.